Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast, brought to you by GTS RS Racing Simulation in Uxbridge, London, specializing in coaching racing drivers and thrilling the public using a professional motorsport racing simulator beyond any you've used before. This episode is called Seb Spoonfeeds Hamilton. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by Matt Two Rumpets. How's it going, Matt? Oh, you know me. It's going great. I'm wide awake and not tired at all. Talk about that in just a second. That show title was supplied by Matthew King on Twitter. I asked you for your suggestions. Here's some runners up. Scott Taylor suggested Tifoldi, uh, Christopher Fonseca, Mission Winnope. Uh, referencing Ferrari's new sponsorship, Michael Cord's Sayonara Drivers' Championship. Stephen Findlay says, Game Seb and Match. Jordan says, Land of the Rising Lewis. Then we had Seb Krashtian Vettel, and You Always Leave a Despace. So Matt, how did you deal with this very weird start time? I guess the race was 2am for you. Uh, qualifying was at 2. The race started at 1. Ugh. So what did you do then? You just stayed up and didn't sleep till about 4 in the morning? Well, yeah, I kind of did both. Uh, for qualifying, I got back from late from a gig, so it was I stayed straight up, and it was horrible. My race review was basically like, um, here are the Q2 results, here's the Q3 results, I'm going to bed, see you later. And then the race, I really thought I'd done a better job on the race, but then this morning when I was looking over it, so I'm like, oh, oh, look, oh, oh, dear, oh, dear, there's no verb in that sentence, oh, my. So I actually had to apologize to Summers because my copy was so Now I'm glad you betrayed us and post your race reviews on summers.co.uk and oh no, summersf1.co.uk and not on mistapexpodcast.com. I slept in on purpose. I am very good normally at getting up, but just with my workload at the moment, I went, do you know what? I'm just going to catch it whenever I wake up. And it was interesting because normally I'm watching the race and constantly like debating, arguing, talking to other people to just sit and watch it kind of on my own and absorb it as an experience just on my phone in bed. Actually, it was a nice change of pace. So tonight, we're going to be talking about the Japanese Grand Prix. We ask how the race was won and lost. We debate whether Vettel's Ferrari drive is at risk. 
We'll also do title maths to see what Lewis needs to win and when. We're going to talk about the new leaders in Formula B and we'll give out the usual awards. And then at the end of the show, we're going to play out with some audio of me and Chris setting up for a sim racing challenge with Alex Brundle at GTSRS in Uxbridge. We are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. We're also joined by Jake. Please take off that hat, Sanson. How's it going, Jake? It's going really good. Thank you very much for welcoming me back into the podcasting shed. Yes, I know. In the preamble, I didn't have a hat. Now I have a hat. Deal with it. Let's deal with it. Right, Matt, we're going to talk about the sensor issue with the sensor that the FIA put in the Ferrari car and does it coincide with the lack of Ferrari pace and the the fact that a steering wheel button mysteriously went missing over the last two races. Uh, but we'll, we'll bump that, I think, towards the end of the show. Qualifying was interesting, I think defined by Sebastian Vettel slowly unraveling. We saw the threads of the string that were to be pulled later in the weekend as early as Q1. Okay. Um, I'm going to say that really you're going to want to blame Vettel for this, but personally, I think it all just came down to the, um, it all just came down to their choice at the start of Q3 and was very weather-based in the sense that they gambled on those tires unless they just had bad weather information. They gambled on those tires and I think it was a needless risk for them. They didn't need that much help. They just needed to be close enough to let the drivers do their job. But instead, by going uh, by pulling your favorite, the button trick, and going out on the enters when everybody else was on the dry tires, they actually sank themselves because they missed the best chance for them to get a proper lap time in. And the end result of that was Vettel starting in P9, which, of course, became P8 when Ocon's penalty was enforced. Uh, but, Jake, some good news in Q3 was the Toro Rossos with their Honda engine. Mightily impressive. Oh, it was fantastic, wasn't it? To see that uh, just 12 months after McLaren had basically said the marriage and honeymoon with Honda is over and we're going to move to Renault. Uh, 12 months later, Toro Rossos put their cars both into Q3 with a P6 and P7 qualifying result. And the McLarens were 18th and 19th and would have been 19th and 20th had it not been for Marcus Ericsson's shunt. Oh, that is just appalling how the mighty have fallen. But yeah, it was great for Toro Rosso on Honda's home soil. Yeah, the chat room has a question for you from Tim. They would like to know if you are Indiana Jones and they suggest that if you are not, perhaps a fedora is not the choice for you. Uh, okay, well, I'm more closer to Indianapolis Jones. I would like to just point that out. That was a great joke for you, Matt. Cool, that Indiana Jones has let go a bit, hasn't he? Uh, but Matt, yes, it was defined by the weather. <laughs> Tell me a little bit more about that that gamble. So Sebastian Vettel went out in Q3. There was a red flag? I don't know. I was asleep through half of qualifying. What can I say? Uh, here's what I remember, was that um, Grosjean got through Q2 on the soft tires, along with the Mercedes, being the important point that I wanted to make. And for Q3... Um, because the weather had come on in Q2, it, it had backed off again because we, they were getting these periods of on and off rain. And so when Q3 started and only Ferrari were out on the enters, so either they get their weather information from a completely different source than everybody else and they were hopelessly wrong about it, or 
they they took the gamble that the weather that was coming would be there before the runners on the dry tires would get their lap times in. And they did not win that bet at all. And it was a foolish bet. They're they're in, in American football terms, they're throwing Hail Marys when it's they're, they're they're adopting exactly the wrong strategy to try and keep Vettel in it, frankly. All right. Look, let's move on to the race then. Well, this is the part of the show where I rely on Matt telling us where the race was won and lost. Right. So obviously, today's race, we're going to start with the start, where we always start, because the start is where most of the things happen. And what was interesting about the start to me today, I don't know if you noticed it, but it looked very, very, very much like Mercedes had a pre-planned strategy to let Hamilton get directly in front of Bottas. And I don't know if anyone asked them about that. But I'd be curious if you felt the same way when you finally watched it, laying in bed like a lazy person. <laughs> uh, I mean, it just looked like the Mercedes did get a good start and like Verstappen perhaps threatened a bit early on. But we know that the Mercedes cars do discuss scenarios at the start and do work together at the start. It would have been awkward, wouldn't it, if Bottas had managed to get ahead again. Obviously, you can't plan who is going to get the best pull away. No, you can't really. But just judging on how they sort of angled their cars more than one would normally expect, it seems like it was it was going to be a team effort to get off the line and keep uh, Raikkonen or Verstappen from getting in front of Hamilton for sure. And also maybe to help uh, Botas a little bit by giving him a car to to follow through the through the turns. So uh, that worked exactly as planned, assuming it was planned. And then I think we have to look at Vettel really at this point because his drive from from the from the from the grid was just astonishing. He had managed to get clear both Toro Rossos by the time he got out of turn two. He was around Grosjean um, by the time they got to Spoon, and thanks to the uh, magnificently clumsy reentry of Verstappen when he went off, he was also by Raikkonen and in fourth place when the safety car came out, and that was all. In one lap, basically. And then the safety car brings everybody back together. So now you have Verstappen right behind Botas. You have Vettel right behind Verstappen. And on the restart, Lewis was off. He was done. Botas was a little bit slow. So there was this moment where it looked like Verstappen might actually be able to get around him. But that moment went away pretty quickly because, of course, you know, uh, Renault. And then it was the classic Vettel versus Verstappen. What could possibly go wrong incident? And of course, everything went wrong. Now, I I know we'll probably argue about whose fault it was later, but the nut of it was there was contact. Vettel spun, and at the end of it, he had gone from 4th to 19th. And at that point, I wouldn't have blamed anyone for just going like, you know what? I think I'm going to record the rest of this and go to bed because it is mm. very much over at this point. Well, it's it's not the best track, is it, for carving through the field, Jake? If this had been Bahrain or China, he'd have been up to sixth very quickly and might, e- might even have been able to challenge further than that. But Suzuka is one of the old school, almost street circuit style tracks. Yeah, I kind of agree with you. I mean, as a driver's circuit, Suzuka is probably one of the most impressive tracks in the world. But in terms of wheel-to-wheel racing, it's quite narrow. It's 
very stop and start. You know, you, you go into one fast corner straight after a slow one, and there's not really a lot of opportunity to build up massive momentum to go for a move, except into 130R. And we've already explained several times this year how the current aerodynamic setup of the cars make it very difficult to follow in dirty air anyway. So we were never going to get to see that pure 130R move through the course of the race unless it's through lap traffic. So it's it, it's an interesting. We have this whole... Uh, heritage thing in returns of Monaco and Monaco always pulls up a bit of a boring race. Is it harsh to suggest that Suzuka is a little bit guilty of that? I, I suppose to a certain extent in that as a racing driver's track, it's one of the best out there in terms of providing an entertaining race for an hour and a half. Yeah. It does sometimes struggle. It, I think Monaco is kind of like the spearhead in this regard in that it was the first to feel those effects but as these modern cars suit more of the modern Tilkadromes, then you suddenly had Hungary falling into that category. Then Barcelona, Suzuka, all tracks that are great. Hungary, Suzuka, Barcelona, all fantastic, sweeping, flowing circuits. But we're not going to get that Grand Prix spectacle anymore with these cars. To be fair, Bahamut Yamat has written on the stream there was more overtaking in Suzuka than Spa this year. And he is actually right. If you looked further down the field, there were some really good overtaking moves uh in various different places you know the force indies were getting into it the renaults were in there when they were running uh the saubers were being particularly feisty on the fight back and everybody was making rings around the williams and the mclarens so there was actually some good moves in the midfield but i i suppose it's interesting you made the point that yeah hungary's now in that list monaco's in that list perhaps we're giving the wrong argument maybe the circuits are not designed for it maybe the cars are not designed for it anymore well, you could go to the cars, or you could just go to the fact that Vettel went from being fourth on the restart to 19th. And so at that point, your race is going to be boring. I mean, this was a throwback race. This was, uh, oh, drive away at the beginning and then don't see him till the end kind of race. For uh, Certainly for Hamilton and mostly for uh, Botas as well. All of the action was in the midfield, and, and they were busy covering Vettel and Ricciardo coming through the field because that's where all the overtaking was coming from that said i didn't think that this was a dull race by any means because certainly uh lewis had sort of bolted off at the beginning but there was there was loads of racing up and down up and down the circuit uh vettel did provide a lot of entertainment coming through the pack but there was genuine racing for position as well in formula b and we will cover the formula b title later but uh, as far as the top four go Kimi raikkonen really should with that with that machinery be able to challenge those guys but once again he just he can't hang on to the tires like the other guys do uh, well especially not when he's missing the incredibly important aero sensitive area at the front of his car that got removed by verstappen in the first lap oh he lost aero did he out of that okay so i'm he being lost, too harsh yeah and, and like and and right at it was it's the bit like right at the barge boards that directs the air entirely to the back of the car. So, I, and and I saw that comment multiple times. And and really, in this instance, uh, I can't blame him uh, because the car was unbalanced left to right, and and it's the left front that takes the most. And so, yeah, he he was he was pretty much done. And you could see it in his lap times, uh, just just following the incident once the safety car came back, and he couldn't even keep up with with Max with relatively fresh tires. Because the car itself was fairly undrivable. Okay, the chat was teasing me a little bit about my weekend appearance on the radio. I do want to confirm that David Essex is alive and well. And apologies to the whole Essex family. Wow. Okay, sorry. Uh, Jake, get in there, mate. Yeah, 
the thing about Raikkonen is I don't really expect him to be impressive anymore. So when he isn't, I'm not exactly surprised anymore. Uh, the thing that was fascinating to me towards the end of the race was Raikkonen. Uh, uh, sorry, not Raikkonen. That wasn't interesting. Uh, Bottas and Verstappen. Now, Verstappen was catching Bottas, but you could see that was one of the most incredible displays of not being able to run in dirty air I've ever seen because he was clearly catching him. But then anytime he got near, Bottas was able to pull another one and a half to two seconds away every single time. And it was just a pendulum swing to and fro, to and fro. And I kind of expected there to be more of a challenge from Max. But there just wasn't one. And it just looked at times that Verstappen was actually weak every time he got close to Bottas. And that is one of the biggest problems I'm having with the current era of aerodynamics. You, you're going to hate me for saying this, but the the issue with him being close on the restart was that because it was near the end of the race, the medium tires had lost more tire temperature because they lost uh, tread depth. So... When they restarted, the people on the soft tires had a decided advantage. But after a couple of laps of chasing, it was Verstappen's tires that had gone off and, and Valtteri's tires had regained their temperatures. So the only reason he got close that second time was because Valtteri just decided to skip the chicane entirely, I think. And he lost about two seconds. And then he was trapped by back markers. So he would, it would yo-yo. But he wasn't really, except for maybe the first half of the lap um, after the virtual safety car, in any serious threat from from Verstappen. And I don't think, is it fair to say, I don't think that Lewis Hamilton is really under much threat from Sebastian Vettel. This is was a nightmare scenario, really, for Sebastian Vettel. If he still was holding out title hopes, and I think he was, because you saw last year in Mexico, until it's mathematically dead... He's going to keep pushing. Uh, so he obviously was still trying to push. But now, Matt, the, the title maths is very damning, isn't it? Yeah, it, 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 it is because he is 67 points ahead. Mm-hmm. 100 points left to, to win. To, to... There's a, a total of 100 points, four times 25. You're correct. And this is going to be, if there's going to be any excitement at the front, it's going to be this. The points differential um, between first and second is seven points. So in order to prolong the championship, which is where we are now, Vettel has to at least come second if Lewis wins. In the, in the US. Yeah, that's in right. So that's right. So if he picks up 15 points for third and Hamilton wins, he loses another 10 points and he'll be 77 points behind with only 75 left. So it is entirely possible that with a Mercedes 1-2 that Lewis Hamilton is going to pick up the title quite early with three races left. Jake, we wouldn't have predicted that over the summer, would we? When people were saying, this is Ferrari's to lose, Ferrari are on a march, Ferrari have the best car by far, that we'd be talking about a potential Austin wrap-up for Lewis Hamilton. Absolutely. You're right. I mean, to say that it was Ferrari's to lose was completely correct. And they went well and truly lost it. A combination of Vettel dropping the ball, cracking under pressure, as he has tended to do over the last two to three seasons. And Ferrari basically just not being able to cope with the pressure of the situation. I heard somebody saying the other day that one of the biggest difficulties at the moment with Ferrari is that they're a little bit too Italian. Now, that sounds like a vague comment, but I do kind of get what they mean because they don't really have the brawn burn 
tote super team combination really that they had in the past that was able to help develop things forward. I mean, the guy who's running the team, Rizzio Riverbene, he'd never done Formula One before he came to F1. He was a Philip Morris international man. And I'm really hoping that's a brand we're going to get to talk about in some really apathetic way coming into the latter stages of the podcast. Oh, the new branding on Ferrari's car? Yeah, the one they stole from us. You have misunderstood. The live stream and the video viewers will see the M I'm wearing on my chest. Yeah. (laughs) And that Matt is wearing as well. They've clearly... They've clearly stolen our markings in tribute to how Tafosi we've been over the course of the season. I can't believe people accuse us of Mercedes bias. Do you know, it's quite funny because it's got Mission Winnow written all over it and it's starting very gradually to look like Mission Minnow. Well, I, I wanted to take some exception to some points made slightly earlier, but in this segment, in my defense, in that, can you tell me who had fast lap in the race? Uh, Hamilton. Nope. Oh, I thought you had a Grand Slam. That was Vettel. Vettel had it. So I think perhaps we could we could maybe be writing Ferrari off a little bit farther. And I'm also going to do a thing that I like to do and be irritating. And I'm going to defend Vettel a little bit here. Everyone is giving him a very hard time about all of these mistakes he's been making, which, frankly, compared to almost any other driver on the grid, aren't really that many mistakes, but they are incredibly highly visible. But if I look at Ferrari sending them out on the enters. If I look at all the pit stop blunders we have seen from the team, I'm just going to posit that the real differential here is Mercedes, the team and the corporate culture versus that of Ferrari. And that where we see Vettel making mistakes, really what it is, is he's having to operate in margins that Hamilton doesn't. Yeah, I'm going to take all sorts of objections with that. Firstly, fastest lap is essentially not meaningless, but it isn't an indication of overall speed. We've seen all sorts of cars get fastest lap. We've seen Fernando Alonso going for fastest lap, for goodness sake. Uh, and the other thing is, I'm sorry, he has he has made a lot of mistakes, even compared to other drivers. And if you want to compare him to, uh, to some of the midfield guys and say, oh, he's made as many mistakes as Perez and Ocon in midfield, well, that's fine, but they're not at the pinnacle of F1 in Formula A of Formula 1, fighting for a championship title, we can't compare him to those guys. We're comparing him to Verstappen. We're comparing him to Hamilton. We're comparing him to Alonso. The very cream of this generation of F1 drivers. He's making an awful lot of mistakes. And you're going to tell me he's made more mistakes than Verstappen? I'm or gonna, Raikkonen, well, I, or Botas? Yeah, are, really? are, those, are those guys winning the title? No, Lewis Hamilton's winning the title. Sebastian Vettel's for- target is Lewis Hamilton. Compared to Lewis Hamilton, he's made a bucket load of mistakes. And that is the only person who's made fewer mistakes than him. But my argument, and I will repeat it, is that the car and the team are operating in margins where Vettel, where you as a driver will make more mistakes because they're more on the edge trying to compete with Mercedes, the team. So the space in Vettel, that Vettel is operating in has less margin for him than the space that Hamilton is operating in. That's my theory of what's going on here. I'm going to share my mad theory that I put on Twitter at about 7.30 this morning, which I have a feeling that the Missed Apex posse are going to throw every single type of vegetable at me for. But I'm wondering if long-term Ferrari's best option at this point might be to pull an Alain Prost and fire Vettel at the end of the season. Now, hear me out, because they've got to play the long-term game here. They know that Mercedes is still going to be strong for the next couple of years. 
there is a guy about to be sitting on the sidelines who, for the future, is part of the Mercedes plan. Hire Ocon. Now, again, hear me out. Go for the long-term game here. Ferrari's only option long-term to get in Mercedes' head psychologically is that they need to mess up Mercedes' future plans. Ocon is a secret weapon that they're hoping to unveil as soon as Hamilton retires or they get fed up a Bottas. So if I'm Ferrari, I'm stealing one of Mercedes' dark weapons for the future in grabbing Ocon while he's strong, while he's coming through. You can put them both together, Ocon and Leclerc, to make a super team. I'm convinced that Leclerc will smoke Vettel next year. He'll make him look embarrassing, even more so than he is now. So why not just mess up Mercedes' plans for the future, get in their heads, and really shake things up a little bit? Trumpets, time to sack Vettel. No. No? No, no absolutely not. You, you'd have to be out of your mind. Okay, so tell me who, who has the experience of the car and who's going to walk in and do a better job? All right, I didn't say that they would do a better job. He would do an equal job to Leclerc. That's what I'm saying. What you need at the moment is a guy who's not going to drop the ball and cost you three victories in a season. Okay, the guys may not be able to put you in that position straight away, but when you're made to look average, when you're starting towards the front end of the field one weekend, and then you can't even bring the cars home within half a minute of Lewis Hamilton the next something's got to give and you can't just keep pointing at the management the management aren't going to blame themselves they're going to blame one of the chief factors and if Vettel's looking average and half-assed apologies I don't know if that's a word we can use but that is you know maybe the Italian media on the pressure they're putting on Ferrari and the way Ferrari have worked historically maybe Vettel's got to go you say that but I, I will put it to you again the issue you really bring up is management's not going to blame themselves and I think this is perhaps a carryover from Ferrari's operation versus Mercedes. But there was an interesting interview with Toto Wolf in which he says, we sit down every Monday morning and we have an open and free conversation about where mistakes were made, how they're going to be fixed. And nobody gets blamed. It's about solving the problem. It's about identifying problems that occurred and solving them. So no one's going to lose their job if they say, I made a mistake. And I think the difference between that culture and what's going on at Ferrari, which admittedly is probably a carryover from a long, long time ago, is ultimately where we're seeing the difference between Mercedes and Ferrari, the teams, and in their performance. Everyone at Mercedes feels very comfortable and confident doing what they do. They are, don't feel like they're at risk if they speak up and say, I think this was a mistake and here's why. And I'm not sure that's the case at Ferrari. And I think that's the difference. And that's what we're really talking about. You seem very kind of keen to let Sebastian Vettel off the hook. But here's what I'm seeing. He's, I'm sorry, he's blown two titles. He's blown 2017 and he's blown 2018. Obviously, yes, the team have made some some bad calls. Mercedes got some calls earlier on in the season wrong too. But no, to say that Sebastian Vettel hasn't played his part in this is, is utterly, utterly ridiculous because Hockenheim, 25 points. Monza, a ridiculous, impatient move. Uh, Paul Ricard taking himself out against Bottas, not even the guy he's fighting for the championship with, and today, and then in the race, making life difficult for himself twice. And uh, I really can't see the defence for Sebastian Vettel. I know uh, you're being called the sensationalist, Jake, in the chat room, but I don't think what you're saying is really insane because what is the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing and, and expecting the result to change? What do you think is going to happen next year? 
Is he suddenly, he, is he suddenly, Jake, next year going to be able to stand up to the pressure of a championship fight against Lewis Hamilton? I don't, I don't think so. I don't think your suggestion is that mad. The thing is, he looks at the moment as if he can't win a championship unless he's in a Red Bull that is designed around him. You know, he's won four world titles in a Red Bull, which is essentially, up until that point, a drinks company with no history. And everything was built for him. Everything was built around him. Mark Webber got the second grade of everything. His career was wasted as a result. And now that he's gone into Ferrari, which is much more about Ferrari, no driver is bigger than Ferrari. Vettel was bigger than Red Bull to a certain degree when he was with them. It was all about him. He won four titles on the trot. He was the golden boy. The second he got beaten by Ricardo, I'm fed up. I've had enough. I'm going to Ferrari. I can win there. In four years, he's won a few races brilliantly. And he's looked like a spoilt, petulant child the rest of that time. That is not the mark of a great champion. He hasn't even looked close to world class in the last 36 months. All right, Matt, let's put this in slightly less sensationalist terms. Let's assume Vettel isn't going to get sacked at the end of this season. I'm happy to put a shiny penny against your shiny penny that Leclerc is ahead of Sebastian Vettel halfway through the season because I know you think he's going to take some time to settle in I can't see any properly fast driver not being on pace quickly against Sebastian Vettel Vettel is entirely beatable no I don't know I just watched that drive off the grid around all those cars and I I would be a little more circumspect in 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 my championship of Leclerc I think if you give him a year or possibly two I would agree with you but I I would happily say let's look at the Let's look at the first half of the season and see whose shiny penny goes where. Okay, let's have a look at some of the championship connotations then. So yes, Sebastian Vettel basically needs 100 points. And if he gets those 100 points that are are on offer, Lewis Hamilton just needs 33 points to win. And I I think if, if Sebastian Vettel wins the four races, I know this is all a bit noddy, they will be level on nine wins each. Lewis Hamilton has more second places. So actually, Lewis Hamilton only needs... 33 points to draw level, assuming Sebastian Vettel uh, wins them all. But in reality, he can get two seconds and win the championship. He can also get two fifths and two sixths. So that's a bit of an example of of what Lewis Hamilton has in front of him, which is pretty much an open goal. Can't see it going any other way. What we can do, though, and that does have a bit more of a competitive streak, is establish blame. Whose fault is it? So for those of you new to the show, and there are many of you, welcome, welcome to the blame culture at Mr. Apex Podcast. We're not Mercedes. We don't sit around and go, hey, guys, it's all okay. Just come in. Let's solve the problem. Let's not assign blame. No, this is based more on my house and the fact that my wife would want to establish who set fire to things before us actually leaving the house to save ourselves from the fire. We would have to establish blame. And when we established it was my fault, then we could leave the house. So we have some incidents. We don't have racing incidents. We don't accept those things. We don't accept 50-50 blame. We must assign blame. So let's start with Max Verstappen and Kimi Raikkonen. I'm going to kick this off because I, basically on Twitter, I've already had preemptive uh words from some Dutch listeners who said, I don't think I'm going to tune in because you're just going to slate Max Verstappen. Uh, no, hmm, well, yes, I think so. In this incident, I'm pretty sure there's a few people who are gonna uh, gonna put this on Kimi Raikkonen. However, I think the baseline is the fact is Max Verstappen left the track. He left the track, and then he 
not only rejoined the track, he went all the way across from one side of the track to the other side of the track, where a red car was occupying part of that track and just and shoved him off and made contact. I don't understand why Max Verstappen would have thought that that isn't a penalty. Uh, I heard, you know, the commentary was saying, well, what more could he have done? Well, I mean, you could slow down. He only had that trajectory because he was accelerating out the corner. Sure, if you want to put your foot down to rejoin the track, then yes, it is very hard to get a good steering lock. However, had you slowed down and accepted, I'm off the track, I need to rejoin the track without hitting another car, then no, I, I don't I don't think you could have expected Kimi Raikkonen to have slowed down to allow Max Verstappen to rejoin the track at whatever pace he wanted. Jake? That all sounds well and good. I can simplify the argument. Uh, it's clearly Max Verstappen's fault because last week when I was on F1 2018 online, some moron did that to me in exactly the same place, in exactly the same corner, and he got a five-second penalty. End of. Max's fault. John Bits, do you have a non-Xbox solution to, to this? Uh, whose fault is it? Yeah, but sadly, this is a boring one because I think we're all going to pretty much agree that well, Verstappen was the one rejoining the track. Therefore, the consequences of his rejoining are going to pretty much be on his shoulders. I mean, you know, it's not like Raikkonen drove into him from behind after he was on the track and pointed the correct direction. He rejoined the track and more or less drove into Raikkonen. So, you know, there you go. It seems fairly simple. Okay, so let's see if anyone in the chat room is objecting. Have we lost all our all our Dutch uh, listeners? Uh, Go on, Matt. Well, uh, Lord Nuker would like to make the point that as a Verstappen fan, that is very clear in the situation, Ericsson was 1,000% at fault. Darn you, Ericsson. Not the only incident he had in this race as well. And uh, uh, Toro Loco, that radio from Max made me clean out my ears. Uh, Wishy Egg, fair penalty. And let's have a look. Is anybody here, is anybody here thinking that it wasn't Verstappen's fault? Because uh, the Sky commentary, Deresta, certainly seemed to uh, absolve him of blame. I don't know what anybody expects Kimi Raikkonen to have done. Uh, but anyway, right. <laughs> Steve Bridge, I like that. Two kinds of people I can't stand. People intolerant of other people's cultures and the Dutch. That is, of course, a quote from uh, Austin Powers. That's right. So it's not me saying that. Uh, okay, let's move on to the next. Whose fault is this? Magnussen versus Leclerc. Now, this is, this is quite an interesting one. Uh, I'm not going to kick this off. Go on then, Jake. Who do you put this the blame on? Leclerc was trying to overtake Magnussen. Magnussen jinked right and there was contact. It's a difficult one. And this one is the closest incident in the race that could be a racing incident. But we're not going to do that. We're not going to sit on the fence. I would say it's probably K-Mag's fault because he was just a little bit too aggressive in the way he moved across. You've got to take into account that he will know perfectly well that Leclerc will have DRS open. He will have that much of a power advantage. I think it was just a little bit too cheeky from K-Mag, to be honest. And I, I just I just don't see how you can argue anything other. It, it's a tough one. It's a, it's a bit of a tough call. But I think K-Mag doesn't really know how long or how wide his car is at times. Let's find out what Trumpet thinks, because the chat room is all blaming Kevin Magnussen, which is making me scared uh, because I might have a contrary opinion. Uh, but wow, they not only are they blaming Kevin Magnussen, they really don't like him either. Nah, they don't like him, but that's because he is, of course, basically an American at this point. Uh, so, Jake, tell me, you mentioned DRS, correct? Yes, I did. Uh, what lap did this incident occur on? Was it three or was it two? Uh, it might have been two. Oh, yeah, good point. Yeah, good yeah. point. 
Yeah, so but no DRS. Okay. Even so- more so. Even more so to blame K Mag then. <laughs> even more so because if he had that much of a speed difference, then without DRS, if he had that much of a speed difference, then yeah, okay, that that doesn't even put it beyond. If if DRS was open, I could have said maybe questionable uh, judgment, but no, the fact that he had that much more of a speed advantage over K Mag, it's definitely K Mag's fault. And, and in fact, had Magnuson not just passed Leclerc, <laughs> well, yes, he had. Yes, in in fact, he had. And 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 Ooh, this and is like a court case. What exactly are the rules about this again? Uh, was was he in a breaking zone when he moved? Uh, no, he was not. No, he wasn't. In fact, and um, now I'm going to ask you the critical question, uh, because the stewards happen to look at the video evidence. Do you know the differential in frames between Leclerc's move and Magnuson's move? Okay, okay, you can have the negatives. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you can just go ahead and say I don't know. I was in that hotel room. <laughs> no. Uh, what was the question? Uh, do you know the difference in video frames between w- when Leclerc moved to the right and when Magnuson moved to the right? It was only about five frames, wasn't it? It was exactly one video frame. Was it really only one frame? That's according to Charlie Whiting. Right. Okay. So I'm going to go with the onboard from Leclerc made it look a lot worse than it was. I'm going to go with Magnuson had every right to make that move and that they made that move almost simultaneously. And at this point, we have one car hitting another from behind. Now, I don't know about you, Spanners, or how the police work over there. But over here, if I rear in someone and say, oh, but they changed lanes, guess who's getting the ticket anyway? Well, I, I don't know about so you, Jake, but with... I feel I feel attacked and I agree with I know, him. This is this is harsh. I wasn't expect. I, I knew in this show we had to tell the truth and the whole truth, yeah. but I didn't expect we had to do nothing but the truth. Come so, on. So here's my take on it. It's interesting to hear about the gap in the video frames. But what I was looking at it frame by frame and I did. And, and Kedar, Kedar's right there. I am Mag Fossey. I am a fan of Kevin Magnuson. So, yes, of course, I had a natural bias to try and defend him, which is why I went frame by frame through that video. Uh, and what I thought was interesting. Yeah. was the the grid positions and how much they moved. So I don't think either Magnuson or Leclerc actually moved a full car's width over. So the amount of movement was actually quite small. But what did it for me is simply this. Leclerc left his move incredibly late. Like he moved, he, he, he came up behind and he made a very late decision to move to the right. And actually, as it happened, I think if, if Magnuson hadn't have moved, he might still have been in danger of hitting him. But if we say Magnuson must not move and it was too late, and I don't think it was too late because they moved nearly together, what you're effectively saying is if a car is coming up behind you and he leaves his overtaking move so late that when you react, it's deemed as having moved too late and being dangerous, we're essentially saying if you come up behind somebody, don't make me all move too late. And then the guy in front won't be allowed to move or will be penalized to move. So you're cutting out racing by telling Magnuson that he can't defend. Of course, he, he had no other choice, but he's got one move to defend. Then he can move back to the racing line. And that's what he did. He waited for Leclerc to make his move and then he matched it. That's racing. Okay, uh, I concede. I need to change my answer. It was Marcus Ericsson's fault. Wow, that's weak. I can't believe you capitulated so quickly. Trumpet. Oh. I don't. I don't. I'm, I can't I'm, with the adrenaline. You softened him up. <laughs> But how many frames a second are they going with this video? Let's take the lowest possible. Let's go like 24 frames a second. So 24 frames a second, that's what? Like 40 milliseconds more or less per frame? Just call it 25 to make the math simple. And at 40 milliseconds, 
do you even think Magnuson was reacting? I think they had the same idea and did about the same thing at about the same time. That's well possible. But I, I think the suggestion that Magnuson is just meant to stand still and take it is, is an odd one. I don't understand that argument. I'm sure we'll get emails. You can email me spannersready at gmail.com. Always love getting your emails. Make sure you follow the show at MissedApexF1 on Twitter. You can follow Matt at MattPT55. And you can find Jake Sanson everywhere by searching Jake Sanson. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Jake, how is the commentary going? You've done a lot of FIA karting stuff, and you recently did some some super duper karting. I did, yes. So we have, have just come back from uh, Sweden uh, two weeks ago for the World Championships, uh, where I discovered that Nico Rosberg is absolutely married to his mobile phone. <laughs> Seriously, that dude is never off the thing. Uh, I got to meet uh, Juan Pablo Montoya, who is a very, very nice bloke. Very, very nice bloke. Very, very nice bloke. I want to make that clear. He's a very nice bloke. And, oh, um, hang on. Now the way yeah. you said that has made me think you don't think that. No, he's a very nice bloke. And <laughs> uh, we also got to hang out with uh, a couple of the sons of the uh, superstar drivers. So Sebastian Montoya and uh, Enzo Trulli. So, uh, yes, uh, Jano's son is racing. Ralph Schumacher has his own race team out there now. Uh, and Felipe Massa, sixth year president, who actually knows what my name is now, which is quite impressive for a Formula One driver. They don't none of them know who I am. So uh, it's all very good. Uh, and then last week, of course, we had the closest finish in karting history. Argue with me at your peril. Well, the but, closest uh, finish would be the exactly the same time. No, 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 no. Uh, well, last that... week, PF International, the last round of the British Championships, we had three carts come across the line covered by three millimeters. <laughs> that is worth a watch on YouTube. I promise you the TDI media YouTube channel, go and check it out. It is genuinely the closest finish I've ever seen in motor racing. Fantastic. Matt. 
Well, apparently the chat room is so impressed with my talking about video frames that they've actually requested me to go back to tires. <laughs> the only thing worse than that talking about tires is video frame rate. Of course, do follow uh, Jake Sanson online at Jake Sanson and TDI Media, where he does a lot of his commentary work. Uh, we do have a bit more blame to apportion. Uh, let's forget about Leclerc and Ericsson because oh, what can you say about Ericsson? Four more races, lads. Four more races to push. Uh, 2019 will be a richer place. Uh, um, but the big one was um, Sebastian Vettel coming up the inside into Spoon of Max Verstappen. Big contact there, a defining moment. You know, maybe Hamilton would have won the championship anyway. I'm talking as if he's already won it. But maybe Hamilton would have increased his points lead anyway without that incident. But it really does seem to sum up uh, Vettel's season for me. Do you put the blame at his doorstep, Matt? Okay. All right. So this is going to be interesting. And I'm going to point out here that I'm being entirely consistent uh, with my same decision from Rosberg v. Hamilton, uh, Barcelona, whatever year that was. In essence, as they exited the corner and headed towards Spoon, Verstappen's engine began clipping, meaning the uh, regen was on and he lost about 160 brake horsepower is the number that I saw bandied about online it may not be entirely accurate but it doesn't matter because all of a sudden Vettel was approaching him as if he had drs into that corner and at that point some people say well why not follow him through because you know how the advantage on the outside but if you look at where Vettel was when the contact occurred he was almost exactly beside verstappen and what happened was verstappen just moved over to take the apex as normal and he didn't really chop like massey used to do he didn't go all the way in but there was not really enough room for Vettel to get around. There wasn't that car's width that we talk about being left on the straights, left in the apex. So, you know, if anything was really a racing incident, uh, this is pretty much it. You know, it was a, you know, immovable wall and uh, impenetrable object making contact and Vettel came off worse. But if I have to apportion blame and being, being, being a parent, I'm pretty good at that. I'm going to have to say I'm going to pin it on Max because he knew his engine was cutting out and he knew that Vettel was there and he moved over and just hoped that Vettel hadn't tried to do that thing that Vettel had done. Oh, come on. <laughs> Seriously. That, so, no, sorry. Sebastian Vettel came from about 400 yards back and Banzai into the corner. He thought he was Gilles Villeneuve in Dijon 1979. He thought he was that much of a god. Never, never make an overtaking move from that far back. Never. Absolute lunacy. Vettel written all over it at blame. Never in a billion years was that Max's fault. Wow. Interesting. Now let's make uh, Jake change his mind completely, like the weak flip flop he is. Uh, uh, no, I I think I agree with you. It was such an optimistic move, uh, but Matt has put that into a context that I didn't realise before. I didn't realise Max was struggling. So you know, perhaps uh, Sebastian Vettel saw a little bit of blood, saw some weakness and vulnerability, and went for it. But still. We know Max Verstappen heavily defends everything. Max Verstappen isn't in the title fight, had made that cheeky comment before the race when they said, are you going to interfere in the title fight? And he said, is it still a fight? You know, he, he had that attitude written all over him. You know, this is Max Verstappen. He's no wilting flower. Such an optimistic move when you've got the title on the line. Like you said, Matt, you know, it was a Hail Mary 
way you didn't need a Hail Mary. Yeah, it absolutely was. And and to that end, you could say that it was the tiniest of miscalculations by Vettel as to where he would wind up when they got to the apex. But the nut of the thing for me is that Verstappen knew his car was down on power and he knew that Vettel was coming. And yet he went there anyway. And I don't know, because it turned the way it turned out. He lucked out, but it could have been exact. He could have wound up with a puncture. He could have utterly ruined his race just as easily. And I would make the same argument with Rosberg starting in the wrong engine mode and his engine clipped. And here comes Hamilton and over onto the grass. And then the next thing you know, they're both out of the race. It wasn't necessarily great decision making by either of them, Mm. but Vettel had such a huge advantage in terms of Delta in the speed going into the corner what do you do at that point you're like i'm so much faster i think i got this and i think verstappen needed was at that point it was on him to be more circumspect because his car was not his his power unit was not 100 percent. well i don't know i want to defend him a bit jake because verstappen did leave enough room for sebastian vettel on the left hand side and and there did seem to be a bit of understeer from vettel yeah, absolutely. Totally. Uh, in answer to your question, Matt, it's very simple. What do you do in that situation? Easy. You wait two corners. This is one of the things I have an issue with with Sebastian Vettel. In racecraft, he just doesn't have it. He doesn't have what it takes. If you put him in a strong car and put him in the lead, you'll never catch him. He's great over one lap. But in terms of racecraft, he cannot overtake. He cannot yeah. battle. He cannot duel with someone without going to pieces. He just can't. Okay. How? Yeah, I mean, it's not a fluke, is it? It's not a one-off. We, we've seen it time and time again over the last two two seasons. Uh, yeah, I said it earlier in the show, didn't I? Yeah, Paul Baku, Ricard. Baku last year. Yeah. I, I, I keep coming back to this point. Baku last year. You can't do that by accident. That's not a coincidence. You don't just take your hands off the wheel and drive into the guy you're fighting with for the title just because you've got a bit of a rant on your head. You need to take a chill pill. Well, the guy can't hack it. Well, actually, this year as well, it was, it was quite an optimistic manoeuvre uh, on on a Bottas it was certainly on but at that point he ended up snatching locking up and not losing just first place also letting Lewis Hamilton through yeah Paul Ricard Monza it's just been an absolute disaster for for Vettel so anyway Matt exciting changes in Formula B so outside the top six we now have and and I've come under a lot of flack for defending Perez, but we now have definitive proof that he is the class act of the field and should replace Sebastian Vettel. Perez now leads Formula B. Uh, well, yeah, technically. He's tied with two other drivers, Hulkenberg and everybody's favorite, Magnussen, on 53 points directly. Um, but that, because I guess he was the latest one to get there, or maybe I'm not sure how they do the countbacks, whatever, he's listed as being best of the rest at the moment but all three of them have exactly the same amount of points and this i i think we're going to just have to rule pretty much hulkenberg out of this because it appears to me reno have utterly tossed in development for the rest of this season so i don't think he has a chance but magnuson versus perez and force india versus haas is going to be very interesting to watch over these last four races because it could really go any direction and it was bad news for magnuson to not finish in the points at all and to have to retire. Um, and it was also good news for Perez that his teammate got rocked with that three, three place penalty at the start. Otherwise, we might not be talking about Perez being tied because I believe Ocon would have finished ahead of him. Don't I, ask me. 
I, I can answer your query as to why Perez is suddenly listed ahead of the other two. It's because Perez has finished on the podium this season uh, and the other two have not. But uh, Perez in the Force India! Force India! Uh, sorry. I'm so not Perez, Perez uh, officially bested the rest then. I'd, yeah, absolutely. Case closed. Like I defend Perez and I get mocked for it, but dude brings it home. <laughs> and watch the chat room get angry. Email Matt, um, Matt at Mr. Apex Podcast at gmail uh, dot squarespace uh, slash internet. Uh, all right then. Uh, but, uh, has doing, has doing consistently well now though, Matt. As an American, that must be pleasing for you. They are consistently up there. Uh, Kevin Magnuson and Roman Grosjean quite often right in the mix for the best of the rest Grand Prix. Yeah, and and we didn't discuss it and where the race was won and lost, but really it should have been it should have been even more points. They made up three points on Rena this week, and with four races left, they are just six points back. So all they have to do is keep on finishing roundabout where they are, and they will take uh, they will take that place uh, fourth away from uh, Rena in the championship, and that would make me very very happy. I would also be happy to see Magnussen in in uh, seventh place, but. Uh, that I think is maybe a little bit more dubious. Um, you know, we'll just have to see. It's very exciting times. And of course, if force India had been able to maintain their points, it would have been even more exciting. And what we really need is for the front of the field to look like the midfield right now, because that's what formula one needs. And I think to me, at least that's why this race seemed to lack a certain amount of drama. Once battle spun is because even though, you know, he's probably not going to win. You're like, oh, come on, get in there. Let's let's make this. Let's run it down. I want that same feeling as to when Hamilton and Rosberg lined up next to each other in the last race with the double points. And it was all down to that start, because that's what as a sports fan, that's what you're dying to see. That's what you want from your sport. And it just oh, oh, it's killing me that it's not there right now. Do you know what I want from you? Okay, I want a summary of this very exciting and interesting Japanese Grand Prix. But I'm not going to let you ramble on forever. I'm just going to give you 60 seconds. Lights out. Hamilton, good start. Vettel gets Hartley. Vettel gets Gasly. Vettel gets Grosjean. Verstappen off. Verstappen, Reckoning contact. Vettel gets Reckoning. Leclerc, Magnussen, contact. Magnussen, puncture. Safety car. Restart. Verstappen on Botas. Vettel on Verstappen. Contact. Vettel spins. Vettel P19. Reckon and pits. Verstappen pits. Ricciardo pits. Hamilton pits. Vettel pits. Fast forward. Well, Vettel passes a bunch of midfielders. Leclerc off. <laughs> Leclerc out. Virtual safety car. Virtual safety car off. Perez gets Grosjean. Grosjean convinced. Perez cheated. Verstappen on Botas. Verstappen not on Botas. Botas misses chicane. Verstappen on Botas. Verstappen not on Botas. Science gets Gasly. Checkers. Hamilton wins. Night, night time for trumpets. Oh, trumpets, you're so brave. I hope you did get some sleep in the end. I just want every single Formula One official video highlights video <laughs> to be done like that with Matt Trumpets calling it like that. I would so watch the video just of the 60 seconds done like that. It would be brilliant. <laughs> well, you know the people. Start talking. Well, well, they did start doing a race in 60 seconds, didn't they? Shortly after we started. I'm sure it's complete coincidence. Just like Magnussen's you know, timing, there was probably just one video frame be- between our race in 60 and-, and their race in 60. But Matt, you're my favourite of the two to be honest so there we go uh let's give out some awards then we give out our terribly named 
in six years, how have we not come up with a better name for this? Think, because I said driver of the weekend one week, and you said, well, can I do something else, not a driver? So I went, oh, all right then, what's your thing of the weekend? And that is stuck for six years. Matt Trumpets, what is your thing of the weekend? All right. Uh, I'm going to invite the hatred this weekend. Uh, because it, it's sort of a tie between just Mercedes in general. Um, but mostly, I got to say, Vettel's start, that first lap where he made up all those positions, that was a thing. And it was really exciting to watch. So, yeah, I'm going to go with that. I'm going to give my thing of the weekend a, a cumulative award, really, to Max Verstappen to, for just consistently banging in results in this part of the season and putting himself basically up as the main contenders to the Mercedes, keeps uh, frustrating Sebastian Vettel, keeps putting himself in places that he doesn't deserve to be when Daniel Ricciardo isn't quite doing it. My thing of the weekend is going to be the other side of the Red Bull garage. It's going to be Dan Ricciardo. How? For, no, 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 wait. For turning the honey badger war cry of misery and frustration on Saturday after qualifying into a drive that saw him beat both Ferraris. I mean, that's just awesome. And the chat room would like to throw in at this point that Kimmy's haikus could possibly be <laughs> the thing of the weekend. And I think I might have to agree that that uh, I, I might have to change my, my mind on that because that's it was pretty, pretty good. I will take umbrage with you, though, Jake, for your your thing of the weekend. The war cry. That was not a war. I look, I know Daniel Ricciardo is like the most loved guy on earth, but he was walking down the pit lane with a camera quite clearly next to him and microphones and crews and everything. And he just shouted like a massive expletive on live TV through his helmet, clear as day. That's not cool. That's, that's really not cool. And like, he just like screamed in frustration, this guttural kind of human scream, but latest in the series of react as if Lewis Hamilton did it <laughs> was, was, was kind of evident there. And I did go to a couple of forums where this post had been, had been posted and, and the comments were all, oh, poor Daniel Ricciardo. This really shows the frustration. I'm thinking, wow, what other driver would get away with that? So what I did was I started putting comments in uh, based on what people would have said if Lewis Hamilton had done that. So I was putting in the comments going, petulant, child, this is why he'll never be as great as Senna. And that made a lot of people very mad, Jake. Oh, okay, so I didn't actually hear the word he said in that guttural thing. That's probably because I was watching the Channel 4 coverage. So every time they show a video of what happened the day before, uh, what's his face, Gethin Jones or whatever his name is, he always talks over the important bit. So uh, I didn't actually realise he'd said a swear word, in which case, how dare you, naughty boy. <laughs> uh, but still, I, I still think, you know, drive from 15th to 4th, beating both Ferraris in the process and making them look decidedly average on a weekend when they decided to put some cheap stickers on the car to make them look better. Uh, yeah, very, very impressive from Ricardo. still. Fair enough. All right, let's do the, the bad thing award, which is our missed Apex award. Oh, no, you missed the Apex. Matt, who missed the Apex for you? Yeah, it's the enters Ferrari qualifying. Dropped it. But isn't yeah. it just one of those things? Didn't they? They did a coin flip and it didn't work out. Why so harsh? Uh, because who else flipped that coin with even one of their drivers? It's a great point. Chat room, tell us who missed the apex for you. Let's go to Jake Sanson. Jake, who missed the apex this weekend? It's going to be Vettel, isn't it? You're, you are no, the biggest no, Vettel hater on the panel. 
I am the biggest Vettel hater on the panel, but it's not Vettel. It is Ferrari as a whole entity. They put cheap stickers on the car and bigged us up for three days thinking, oh, it's going to be amazing. No, it's not. It's going to look cheap and tacky and horrible. Uh, The Kimi Haikus, did they really think that was going to actually help in terms of personality? They sent the Ferraris (laughs) out in qualifying, wet in the dry, slicks in the wet. It's like, guys, seriously, look out the window. Uh, And then, of course, you've also got the fact that they messed up Raikkonen's race strategy. They messed up Vettel by not telling him to calm down. They just look decidedly average. They look like Jordan in the 1990s is what they looked like. Wow. Okay. Slate Jordan in there. Just a random drubbing for Jordan. As, uh, I, my missed Apex Award goes to Fernando Alonso. I didn't see the contact between him and Stroll. In fact, they did show one bit where Alonso ended up going off. Um, I think Stroll might have forced him wide and they both ended up getting penalties. But when Alonso finally got past Stroll later in the race, I don't know if you saw it, but he swerved all the way from one side of the, the, the straight and dived back in across as a as a show of anger at well over 100 miles an hour to kind of show Lance Stroll that he was angry. Firstly, don't do that in a race car. That's I can't believe that didn't get a penalty because that was clearly a very aggressive, aggressive move. Could have gone terribly wrong. What a chance he took there. And also, surely Alonso should be better than letting Lance Stroll get to him. Trumpets. Yeah. I I I agree that I was laughing so hard, like at the, at, at the races at, at the notices coming up. Alonzo gets a five second penalty for uh, for gaining an advantage going off, and Stroll gets a five second penalty for sending him there. And then they showed the replay, and basically coming into the final chicane, Stroll drove him off the road, and then rather than taking to the escape route and coming back on, he just basically drove over the grass, bounced bounce. He went total rally cross. And wound up getting like a four or five second advantage out of it. And they both got penalized and they both pretty much deserved it. And yeah. it was highly, highly entertaining at, at the time, I have to say. It's weird, Jake. Can I just it? say that, that that was my favorite bit of the whole race? <laughs> <laughs> it really was. And it's disastrous because 20, 25 years ago, these two teams were the kings of the sport. It was Mansell and a Williams, Senna and a McLaren, and they were at each other's throats in the same way that, you know, Mercedes and Ferrari are now. How badly did things have to get before both teams realised they need to change everything? And I mean everything about what they are doing. This is woefully inadequate. The two major remaining privateers in, you know, independent garagistas of the ancient tradition of Formula One, if you like, that are still, you know, justifying their right to be there, are looking as bad as Minardi and Tyrrell did 20 years ago. This is appalling. All right, let's go to our Pony Award. Daddy, I want a pony. And I want it now. I'm going to give it to Sebastian Vettel. Not quite pony-ish, as in he didn't, like, have a tantrum. He wasn't being petulant. But... I think his radio at the end of the race was a fail because the first thing he comes up and he says, uh, yeah, I don't know what to say. I think it's already been said. It's all already been said. No, it hasn't all already been said. You've, you haven't even got out of the car yet. And then he sort of tries to explain his little incident. And he said a quote that was so close to Senna's quote. It makes me think that he doesn't know the Senna quote. Because if you knew the Senna quote, which if you no longer go for a gap, you're no longer a racing driver... You wouldn't then say something really similar, which is what he did. He said, uh, if you don't go for a gap that's there, then 
you may as well go home. So I don't like you would make it substantially different or you would just quote the Senna one, wouldn't you? So that makes me think Vettel doesn't know that Senna quote. Yeah, uh, I'm going for Verstappen for Pony of the of the day. Yeah, definitely for blaming the rules rather than his own inefficiencies at uh, going off at the chicane. You really uh, want us to lose all our Dutch listeners, don't you? Trumpets, do you have a pony? Yeah, I, I do. Although I have to say, like, as much as you can slate him for going like, well, well, Raikkonen should have just waited for me to rejoin the track safely. And yeah. then he could have just followed me, which, <laughs> yeah. again, provided so much entertainment at that point in the race with the safety car. It was just delightful. So he, he really is, in some ways, becoming like the Raikkonen of the grid in terms of his radio transmissions. It just like you just know if it's got Max's name attached to it, it's going to be some kind of entertainment coming up. But. I'm actually going to go with Leclerc for slating Magnuson as he's on his way into the pit box and calling him Magnuson. Will, what did he say? He will always be stupid or something like that. He is and will <laughs> always be stupid. Yeah. So harsh. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, come on, man. <laughs> it's not. But uh, uh, all in the heat of the moment and all in good fun. But yeah, I would definitely uh, toss my pony award that direction. Yeah, I wouldn't mind that with Leclerc. It's kind of like, oh, why didn't he let me past? Why didn't he just let me past? I I moved my steering wheel. I changed line to go round him. Why did he also do that to block me? Yeah, so yeah. Oh, of course, heat of the moment. Absolutely, heat of the moment. I would uh, I would hate anyone to have recordings of what I'm yelling and shouting underneath the helmet in a go-kart. But this has been Missed Apex Podcast for the Japanese Grand Prix. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to us. We will have shows throughout the next two weeks. Make sure you also join us in Austin and we'll be probably recording that show on the Monday evening rather than staying up and trying to do a two o'clock in the morning recording which we've done in the past but i don't know uh we'll have a little bit of a chat about that obviously it doesn't affect matt does affect me so make sure you join us for then whenever we're on you can find that out by going to youtube and searching for missed apex podcast and subscribing also follow the show on twitter and facebook by searching missed apex podcast until next time remember that wounds heal chicks dig scars and glory lasts forever this was missed apex with spanners matt and jake So here we are at DTS RS, and I'm resuming my rivalry with autosport journalist Chris Stevens. Chris, here we are again at yet another driving challenge, another another opportunity for humiliation for you. Um, probably because you've got that sim rig at home, haven't you? You do all your iRacing stuff, whereas I just have a PlayStation. I've got Summer's dodgy old steering wheel, which I clamp onto the desk in the shed. I mean, this is far more sophisticated than what you or I are possibly going to have at home, so I like to feel like this is going to be sort of a level playing ground. So we're here at GTS RS in Uxbridge, and what we're looking at is the chassis of an old British touring car, and... It's surrounded by 180 degrees of screen uh, with a projected image of Silverstone on it at the moment. And it looks so immersive. I'm just, I'm dying to get into it. I mean, it just looks super professional, doesn't it? It's uh, the kind of thing that you imagine all the top tier motorsport teams are using to to practice before all their races. So this facility here in Uxbridge is 90% used for training actual racing drivers so we've got no excuses today because we've also got racing coach and semi-pro racing driver alex brundle i'll give you one opportunity to introduce me now. <laughs> Hello. 
<laughs> yep, semi-pro race car driver Alex Brundle here, enjoying my time with you as ever, Spanners. So you're going to give us a, a little bit of sim coaching here. Have you done a lot of coaching before? Uh, yeah, a fair bit. All of us do uh, a, a fair amount of coaching um, through through the years of, of motorsport, especially kind of when you're going through kind of not out of out of the single seater formulas, but again, not made the jump into something like a world endurance championship, etc. Um, you're you're coaching for for quite a lot of the time, so uh, I should be able to get you somewhere near the pace. I hope. So it's a bit like musicians. No matter how good they are, nearly all of them teach music as well as plying their trade. Absolutely, but you know, a musician needs a, a violin, and I need a I need a simulator. <laughs> To get you, uh, to get you driving, to get you close to the pace, and I, I know these guys um, from from a, a decent period of time now. Introduced to me by a, a racing friend, Formula Two champ Luciano Bacchetto, and so many of uh, the guys I know come down here, um, especially because of the great circuit models they have and uh, the immersive simulator they have to to practice their trade. So that's more um, my my function when I come down to see these guys at GTSRS. So obviously I've been to sim places before. They're very good where they have the three screens. But the immersion here with the projection screens is something completely different. When you're in the car, all you can see through the windows is the track. Absolutely. And actually that British touring car chassis, I believe I tested. Oh. <laughs> uh, in a test back uh, way back when for Triple Eight Racing. Well, I'm looking at the owners. You have this legitimately. This is yours. You haven't just nicked it from a track. No, we nicked it. <laughs> they, oh, yeah, they, 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 they did nick it. So what what are idiots like me and Chris going to struggle with the most? I can probably steer around a car a little better than Chris, but Chris doesn't even have a driving license. What are we going to struggle with stepping into this car? Well, firstly, I need to know about what what's your so your previous experience spanners is. I have a Peugeot 2008, pretty handy in it, Alex. <laughs> Chris, your previous experience is far greater, of course, and is I have been a passenger on <laughs> racetracks a lot, oh, but I haven't, as Spanish said, got a driving license. Okay. Right. I think I've got a picture. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't look happy. So, one uh, of the main things, I mean, I've done a lot of coaching from novice level all the way through to kind of young driver, moving through the junior single seaters level. The guys that have not been on track before struggle most with applying braking force, making sure that they're braking hard enough. Yep. And, and just general feel on all controls so the smoothness of application of steering smoothness of application of brake and throttle things like gear selection but okay for example when you take your driving test you ease the brakes on quite slowly and then when you get to the junction you then think about the gear that you need to pull away in so obviously a very different mentality to slowing exactly and all of that you have so much more time to think about than when you're on a racetrack so looking forward down the track making sure that you're giving your mind plenty of time to process what you need to be doing next. Don't waste thinking time on just wandering down the straight going, oh, wouldn't, be, wouldn't it be nice? Wouldn't it be exciting when I get to cops? Think about cops when you're coming out of Luffield. So where, where, where you're expecting us to, to fail is kind of everywhere. But I remember following Bradley Philpot in a go-kart and just wondering, right, okay, let's really see where I'm losing time to him. And it is everywhere. It's in, in every braking zone, on the apex, on the exit. It's absolutely everywhere. So it's not going to be that we just struggle to drive it in a straight line no absolutely not no you you if you can't drive it in a straight line you're going home um but <laughs> going home chris <laughs> no no you should you should be able you should be able to uh, to circulate um it would just be a case of making sure we get you online firstly because line on a racetrack is absolutely everything and then the balance of entry to exit speed um can build from there but what i would say to you guys is just build just build up 
And we've got plenty of time today. And what we'd say to you is reduce your expectations, I would imagine. (laughs) Okay, just quickly, what car are we going to drive? I think it's going to help us because the cars we've got have got ABS and traction control. So much to my chagrin, you're an extremely Formula One focused podcast. Yeah, sorry. Um, It's where where the Benjamins are. Other racing series are available. And um, so... What are they called? I've I've picked (laughs) some. They're called... I picked. Uh, I said racing. Um, I picked. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> can edit. This yeah, one. you can edit that. Out. <laughs> I was going to request it if you if you hadn't said yeah. that. What I'll do is I'll put beeps in so people wonder which series. <laughs> so um, we are on a uh, Formula One Grand Prix circuit on a car which is on the F1 package, the Porsche Carrera Super Cup car. Um, so we're going to get you going as though you were in a real Formula One race weekend. Nice. And I, and the, the sim here at GTSRS, uh, has the ability for one coach to sit next to the driver. So I'm going to be doing that and never ever grabbing the steering wheel. Okay. If you want to follow what we're doing and see some of the video footage, uh, go to gtsrs.co.uk or check out the Missed Apex YouTube channel by going to YouTube and searching Missed Apex and uh, place your bets now. Who's going to win? Me or that idiot Chris Stevens? Now, not even late into the post show, but actually after an additional segment, an all time record for forgetting this segment. What is this week's comment of the week? Once again, the chat room has fallen for my hilarious and deliberate comedy skit. Okay, so we we have we have we have a couple of categories to choose from. We have the technical issues at the start of the podcast, which uh, looks like Wishy Egg is is Ferrari running this tonight? How did they see our tech problems? We did the all. Oh my god, they they didn't see what we actually had behind the scenes where we lost Kyle and yeah. Steve before we even started. No, no, no. But we referenced it right when we came oh, on the live right. stream. And, and, and then uh, Rob stand and says, maybe they need Ferrari tech department to sort out camera stuff. Uh, then there's a whole category devoted to Jake's hat. Uh, Tim Garbasiak says, are you Indiana Jones? If not, don't wear a fedora. Jamie Ryan inquires, is that a Snapchat filter? And then, <laughs> of course, uh, and then, of course, European in with Vettel choked on a spoon um, and uh, low stealth Verstappen. Why are these other cars on track? Uh, Sam Watley would like to know compared to what killing David Essex referencing one of our discussions in the middle and how important Vettel's mistakes are. I believe David Essex Uh, is alive and well. I'm going to get T-shirts printed out with Missed Apex podcast. David Essex lives. And then we go with uh, Lowstelt saying, uh, thing of the week is Sky having to apologize every time someone curses. Third quick, responding with, he shouted, MGUK. <laughs> Clever. And then uh, finally, EMH2212, it sounded like he, that would be Vettel, was trying his best not to plagiarize for his essay by rewording the quote slightly. There we go. Who's the winner, Matt? Usually you you have a response, and uh, I'm going to have to go with Sam Watley this week compared to what? Killing David Essex. Wow. Yeah, I think a little too soon. Git. Fine. Take it. Comment of the week. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. 
And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.